Hey everyone, we're super excited to present the AI Native Database podcast series. We've invited some incredible people to discuss where these new advances in generative AI are taking us and the role that database systems will play in it. This series contains four interviews with Andy Pavlo, Paul Groth, John Maida, and Dan Shipper. All four podcasts feature WeVA co-founder and CEO, Bob Van Light. Thank you so much for watching. I really hope you enjoy the series. Hey everyone, thank you so much for watching the WeVA podcast. I'm super excited to present another episode in our special edition CEO series featuring WeVA CEO Bob Van Light. And today we host Dan Shipper, the creator of Every. Every is an incredible blog, as well as a Discord community, as well as a writing app, this kind of future looking business around all sorts of exciting things in our series discussing what is the future of databases, where are these AI native technologies taking us. Bob and Dan, thank you both so much for joining the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, I, I love the energy. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, great to be back. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Uh, so can we maybe kick it off just with um, this perspective on GPT-4 as a reasoning engine and sort of uh, the thinking behind this blog post? Yeah, I, I wrote a post, uh, I guess, in, in March um, of this year called GPT-4 as a reasoning engine. And it was sort of around the time when... Um, GPT-4 had come out, I think it came out like maybe like a month prior, you know, pretty, pretty close to when it came out. And I'd been at this Sequoia event um, in San Francisco and I'd watched Sam Altman speak and he made this, he made that point. He said, um, uh, you know, these models are reasoning engines, they're not knowledge databases. And I feel like that's a really important thing that people like need to understand, or at least at that time needed to understand. I think that we're a little bit further along now, but it's still like a, it's still a point that I think people don't quite get, which is um, generally when you ask these models questions, like you ask GPT-4 or any other model like BARD or anything like that, um, people get hung up on the fact that they get quite, they get the answers wrong um, fairly frequently. They, they get hung up on the sort of like hallucination problem. And um, what the article is about is um, uh, sort of examining how a lot of the hallucination problems go away when you provide these models with um, the right information to reason over in order to uh, in order to answer the, the any kind of question that you have. And so, rather than like writing off these models um, entirely, what we should what we should sort of um, start to understand is that um, you can break up intelligence into two things. One is reasoning and the other one is knowledge. Um, and, and GPT-4 is like really good at reasoning. If it has all the right facts at its disposal, like it's going to give you probably the right answer. In a lot of cases, some, some forms of reasoning, it's like less good at like math. Um, but it, you know, there are ways around that. Um, so it's really good at reasoning. What it's not really good at is knowledge because it doesn't have any explicit um, knowledge representation in, inside of itself. It's all stochastic. Um, but what you can do is if you pair GPT-4 with a knowledge source that can provide it the right facts at the right time, um, it, it's, it, the quality of its responses get, get significantly better. And, um, that's, I think really interesting because it means that today the quality of responses that we get from our models is not even necessarily bound by things like the you know, the number of parameters, um, as, as much it's actually bound by, um, how good are we at finding the right information to give to the model, um, at inference in order to give it, um, in order to, uh, get, get the answer that we want. And if we can get it, if we can, um, you know, get it the right information, it'll go much further. And so I think 
you know, that points to the importance of things like private knowledge repositories that are either personal or co- company specific. Um, it also it also points to the importance of like vector search, for example, which is how we find the right facts to to give to give to the model. And vector search is great, but like there's a lot of ways in which you have to do lots of weird, fancy stuff in order to get the right um, you know information out of out of the database. And so I think those dimensions are are ones that we'll see like really interesting uh, uh, new things from over the next couple of years. And it's why, for example, I think even though Bard is like kind of far behind, I'm pretty bullish on Google as a, as a place to um, get, uh, like get good quality responses from, because Google has all the information that, that can, you know, sort of make it easy to, um, to provide the right answers. So I've, I've been blabbing for a while, but that's the basic gist of the, of the article. Yeah, and, and I have I have a quick question. So so before we, we double click on all that, right? So it would be help can you also for the listeners, can you de- can you define in the context of not per se GPT four, but just the models in general, right? Can you define uh, what you mean with like the knowledge representation and what do you mean with reasoning? Maybe or maybe give an example about the the differences, what we might be expecting from the from the uh, from the models. Yeah, it's 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 a real good point. So, like, um, when I say something, uh, when I talk about the no, uh, the models being sort of stochastic, what I what I mean is, um, when I say, say something like Mary had a little, um, in your mind, you you know, I'm going to say like lamb, because um, you know that like lamb follows from Mary had a little, um, and that's that's a lot of what the the models are doing. They've seen, um, you know, uh, strings of tokens. Um, billions and billions and billions of times and they have an internal representation of what tokens usually follow from another um and that means that when you ask it a common question like who is george who, who is the first president of the, of the united states the models are going to be quite good at um completing george washington because they just see that those um tokens following from um from that question like over and over and over again or things that look like that question over and over and over again um, but they'll tend to fall down in, in other areas. Um, so for example, if you ask the model who I am, I'm definitely less well-known than George Washington. And so sometimes it gets it wrong because it's sort of, it's again, it's stochastic. It sort of, it generally knows that I'm a founder, for example, but it doesn't know the name of the company that I founded. Um, and that's because there's, there's no explicit representation of, um, who or what is like what is going on in the world inside the model? As far as we know, there there might there there's a, like a lot of deep research as to like whether or not these models have like have um, world representations inside of them. But I think in like for the purposes of this conversation, there's there's we it's 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 pretty clear that there's probably no it's not it doesn't work like a database where the model can go like look it up and and get the exact answer to the question. Um, and the uh, uh, you know I think I think reasoning is is sort of like a little bit uh, slippery to define, but it's basically like uh, given a set of facts or given a given a starting point, can you like can you arrive at a new answer that follows from the set of facts as as like as one way to one way to define it? And then I think knowledge is like is the actual it's sort of like the set of facts. Um, and again, it's sort of slippery because you know GB, GBT is like quite. Uh, it's not generally good at math, and and that's like the that's the 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 basic you know uh, idea of what reasoning is. It's 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 not as good at like like really highly highly um, uh, logical reasoning where 
uh, if you make one mistake, it totally throws it off. It's a little bit fuzzier than that. Um, but that that's the general that's the general gist. Yeah, that, that's super interesting, and I think also the I, I'm all I'm also thinking about like the um, the objective versus the subjective nature um, uh, uh, of the answers that it's providing. So, for example, with George Washington, there's probably somebody else also who's who's called George Washington, right? But it's like a it's kind of the, you can't assume that if somebody asks that question, right, that you're referring to the to the president. The one thing that I find super interesting, and I would love to to hear your thoughts on this as well, right? So one thing that we're thinking about is something that we call the the AI native stack, right, or the AI stack, and that kind of um, is related to what you said about Google. So what I find intriguing is that today, so I actually know, like a, about a year ago, we made this transition that we were talking about machine learning, and then with machine learning, we really talked about the models, and then all of a sudden, after like ChatGPT, we just you know, removed the, the abbreviation ML and replaced it with AI. And we started to refer to these, to, these, to these models using AI. However, what I find so interesting, what you're saying in combination with, um, um, with for example, with Google and the infrastructure that Google has, is that if I ask a very um, a subjective question to them, right? And I said, like, where can I get a great cup? No, so what's a great coffee place, right? Very subjective. It was a great coffee place. Yeah. Then if you have, if you, for example, use do that via BART, then maybe Google knows through their maps infrastructure, oh, this guy is now standing in a, I don't know, in somewhere in the street in Paris. So we're going to recommend a great coffee place that's in Paris near where he is. So my question is, I'm, I'm very curious how you see that. If this reasoning engine that is evolving, will that be captured just in one big model somehow? Or is it actually that stack that's emerging that contains the models, but also the vector databases, the existing infrastructure, and so on and so forth? Yeah, I think that's I think that's sort of what I'm what I'm what I'm getting at is um, response quality is not bound by model quality. It's currently it's you 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 can um, you can keep the model size the same and 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 all that kind of stuff, but if you add a vector database and 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 a couple of other a couple of other tools to the model that the model can use, it will dramatically inc increase its ability to give you good results. So I do think the stack matters. I I don't know, like I you know to the to the to a point you made earlier. I don't know, like in twenty years. Uh, it's possible that we may not need like an explicit database and it's all kind of stochastic in the model and the model is smart enough that it doesn't matter. Like, you know, humans don't, don't really have, um, in, inside of our brains, at least, uh, it seems like a, like a, a database. It's all kind of like sort of stochastic, but we do use Excel and we do use libraries and stuff. So like, I think even at the point where we have an AGI, like there's, there's a use, there's a usefulness to, actual structured information that you can query, um, even for like a very, very intelligent, um, machine. It, it, that's a, it, that's a, that's a good point. It, that's fascinating. Sorry, Connor. I, uh, I'm not sure if you want to say something, I interrupted you. <laughs> no, no. Well, I was just gonna, yeah, I think the whole kind of comparing it with Google is very interesting versus structured information that you kind of privately curate. And I, I cause I especially like kind of researching you, Dan, and reading your blogs and stuff is, is kind of like note taking. And so I really would love to kind of 
you know, open up that uh, like Google information versus your kind of private information and how you see that? Well, it depends mm. on where you um, where you keep your information. A lot of people keep their information in Google Docs, so Google has that too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that they're both they're both obviously quite valuable for for different purposes. Um, I think um, one way to think about the dividing line is um, uh, whether it's new to me or not. Um, and there's a lot of there are a lot of times where I want something that's 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 net new to me, and I think in that case, like Google is obviously like an irreplaceable resource for that kind of thing. Um, but I think a lot of us go through our lives um, bumping into things that um, that we know kind of fit that like ineffable taste that we have that thing where like I like this, whether it's like a a quote or a book or like a movie or a restaurant recommendation or whatever, like, or even a fact, like a little thing about how to, how you should run your company or how you should make decisions, all that kind of stuff. Like it just pings you and you're like, Ooh, this, this makes sense to me, but you're kind of like, I can't use this right now. Um, and so a lot of us do this thing where we just like compulsively like throw it into a notebook or throw it into a notes app or whatever. Um, and then we just generally never use it again and never run into it again. Um, and, um, but I, I do think the, 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 the like fundamental problem that needs to be solved is here's a thing. I know it will be useful, but it won't, it's not going to be useful right now. And I don't know what it will be useful for in the future, but bring it back to me when it will be used for when you think it might be. Um, and we've never found like an actually like a uh, really good solution for that. But I think AI is, is sort of, um, uniquely capable of, of doing that for us. And I think um, uh, there's a lot of value in, in resurfacing private knowledge because it's already curated. It's already like on your vibe, you know, um, because you took the time to like write it down um, that there's something about it that could be helpful for you. And so if I had to pick between like a generic Google result, for example, and something that I like saved five years ago, but I didn't, I don't remember that I saved it. I would pretty much, I'd probably prefer the latter. Um, especially like, you know, one of the really interesting things that I think we're going to have to think, think about is, um, when, when you use like chat GPT browsing or any of these things, like they ended up querying on a search engine and a lot of search engine results are not great. Um, so again, like the quality of the response is bound by the quality of the, of the search that you can do. And then the quality of the results from the search engine, um, and I, I think in, in some of those use cases, actually, I'd rather just search my private stuff so that I don't run into all the like SEO blog posts, spam and, and, and all the stuff that ends up like clogging up Google. Yeah. And, and, and this is what, what I also find interesting related to this is that the, so you just mentioned like, uh, um, a Google docs, right? So what I find so interesting is like one of the things if like as I as a as, as a human right if I if I um, uh, want to keep some information I basically in my mind I mean I'm not literally doing the, thinking about this but what I'm basically doing is that I, that I say okay do I have in like some qualitative information that I want to store because if that's what I have um, uh, then it, then it's probably something I, I'm gonna write down like in in how's that called uh, the, well the board equivalent of Google Docs right but the um, if I have something more quantitative, I might use spreadsheets, right? Because I just have mm -hmm. a spreadsheet where I store um, mm -hmm. uh, the information. I, 
I think just with the quality of like how we, you know, parsing that information, feeding that to the model, and uh, Connor, how you just released um, uh, the, um, uh, the 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 podcast with uh, with uh, Madeline about like how she, you know, the work she's been doing and that kind of stuff. I think that's kind of hey, that's indeed kind of a solved problem. But what I find so interesting is that the the way that we've been using these technologies until Google Search today, from the way of the beginning, is that it was so super. It was like super um, uh, uh, quantitative, right? So it's like it was. It was just. It was just um, uh, super objective. Like you have a query. This is the page where you might find the answer. And wh- however it's written on a page, we don't know. We don't care. But what the model adds to that is more that qualitative angle, right? That this this subjectiveness of potentially having an opinion. On what you what you're doing, right? So if you search on something about like, uh, um, uh, um, uh, yeah, I don't know, uh, I don't know, right? If you if you write like maybe a weird example, but like you know, how to build a bomb, right? Then Google search <laughs> might show you just a page that goes, hey, this is just a, this is just how it's. Yeah. But the model might say, do you really want to do that? Do yeah. you understand yeah, yeah. that this is actually a dangerous <laughs> thing to do? Yeah. And I'm fascinated by that, <laughs> by that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure this is smart thing to a podcast, but the, the, the point that I'm, I'm trying to make an intellectual point with this, but the, the point I'm trying to make is the I'm fascinated by the subjectiveness. So even that I noticed that the system prompts in ChatGPT are changing, that they try to make it yeah. less opinionated. Yeah. These things give me an opinion on what I want to know. And I'm just I just I, I need to get used to that, I notice. And I'm just yeah. curious how do, how do you think that, that will evolve into the future? I think it's I think it's great, honestly. Um, I th- there's a, there's a lot here. So like one thing is, um, when when you're asking for things that you want to know, I think uh, what Google basically does is it just finds websites that have have the same words. Um, but often, like you can't really put things into words, or the words that you should be using are different from the words that you are using. And I think um, ChatGPT is like incredible at helping you actually put to words something you can't put into words and then um, returning you the right thing uh, in a way that was like previously completely ungoogleable. So like a really good example is, um, you know, I, I, I was writing a piece like a couple weeks ago and I, I had this like, it was a practical guide for how to use ChatGPT custom instructions, but I really wanted to have like a good opening for it, like a kind of voicey explainer, like where it, it felt funny and it felt like it wasn't just like a... 10 tips to do ChatGPT or whatever, right? Um, and I think those articles are pretty rare, like really practical articles that also have a little bit of a, a voice, a little bit of a literary quality, maybe or a little poetic mm-hmm. or a little funny, all that kind of stuff. But that's an, and, and for me, I would usually want to like look at an example so I can get it in my ear, like a writer that I love um, to like to sort of get it in my ear and then I can write my own version of it. But that's sort of an ungoogleable question. I cannot, I cannot search like voicey, poetic, literary explainers of technical topics because, <laughs> like, um, the only way that that will show up in, in Google is if someone else had the idea to like collect that. But that just it's too it's too specific. Um, but I can go to ChatGPT and I can say exactly that, and then it gives me a list, and then I'm like. Uh, like a list of articles that it, that it returns of, you know, voicey explainers or whatever. And then I can be like, no, 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 that's not quite right. I want you to make it, I want you to lean a little bit more toward people who write like digital writers. I don't want any books or uh, people who are writing specifically about technical topics. And you can just sort of like narrow it down. 
And then eventually I just came to this Joel Spolsky article. I love Joel Spolsky, um, sort of an OG internet blogger. Um, and uh, it was a Joel Spolsky article from like 2003. And it was like the perfect article for me to like write the thing I needed to write. And it was like incredible. And it was like totally on Google. And it was about ChatGPT um, being able to uh, understand what I was saying, help me refine it, and then return something that is like um, – that uh, that matches the thing that I was trying to say without even me using that the, the words I was using were not contained at all in the article that I was um, that I was looking for, and I think that that is that is really cool. You can find things based on a vibe now, which is which is interesting, and I think it's related to the personality point that you're making. And I think in general, one of the like consequences of this personality point, which is. Um, each of these models have a bit of a vibe and each of these models have different set of restrictions or rules or, or things that they'll do in the same way that people do. I think um, what what that will do is over time, it will um, create a sort of like splitting off effect where people will find models that have personality types that speak to them. Um, and it will be a little bit, I, I, I do think that ChatGPT will be sort of like the default and people like it, the bulk of people will use ChatGPT. It'll be like the main source of truth in a, in a lot of ways. Um, but then there will all be this sort of splintering effect where it's sort of like, um, uh, like media companies, um, you know, like the, the New York times is like the paper of record or, or Wikipedia is like, they, they say everything in the most neutral fact-based possible way. Cause it's the highest scale thing. But then there are all these other media companies that are like, vice or like fox news or whatever that have that like very specific slant or spin or voice that's for a particular kind of person um and i think we'll probably see something similar and indeed we are already seeing that like with character ai um i don't know i don't know how, how deeply you guys have gone into that but that's like a really really popular chatbot service where you can chat with different per- chatbots of different personalities that are often famous people or people from books or, or movies and stuff like that yeah. Um, and so I think that's, th- that's one interesting consequence is that the more these things are like people, the more that they have personalities, I think the personalities are like incredibly, um, incredibly important, incredibly core to this, but they also create this situation where, um, a more specific personality is going to be more, uh, more interesting for, for groups of people and are probably unbundle into those groups. I, it's so interesting what you're saying there, because the one thing that I'm personally always excited about with is when these new things happen, right, in the in the industry, it is like it often starts with these displacement services. So in this case, it was like true. Uh, now the, all the hype is like with uh, with Rag and and that kind of stuff. It's like okay, we're gonna we're gonna do quote unquote better search, right? Because we have now the model and we inject that information into the uh, into the model, but. Um, what I'm actually always more excited about is like, okay, what is the new, what are the new businesses that are being built, right? What are the new startups? What are the new products that we're seeing? And it's so funny that you mentioned character and AI because, because that model now all of a sudden brings that subjectiveness to the table, right? So from being purely objective, like Google, Google search, I mean, as you mentioned then where you said like, you know, if somebody wrote an article about this, poetic whatever i'm looking for then it will find it but if it didn't then that's just no it just says like i can't find it right and that people start to now create businesses around that subjective nature of what the models bring so character has a good example from that right so that's basically the information stream is going to stay the same but the way how it's going to be presented to you or what it picks to present to you 
yeah. is evolving over time based on who you are and what you want. And I find that, that I think that that is the new thing that that in information retrieval um, that it brings to the table. That it, yeah. And and for, I'm not sure if I'm when I'm saying like objective versus subjective, is that if that's the right way of saying it. But that's how it feels to me because it's like a yeah. the model um, uh, generates a uh, um, a string of tokens based on an order that you prefer and i find that i find it fascinating yeah it's it is interesting because like um the the order that you prefer like there is something like that in databases right now which which would probably be in the in the kind of um more objective realm under under this like dichotomy but it's things like um, sort it in a different way or like limit it to this number of records or whatever. Um, but I think, um, there's, there's a much higher dimensional ability to like get the thing, get the tokens in the order that you prefer with, um, with GPT, like it allows you to, um, conduct way more transformations on the output than you, you could in the previous sort of regime where you could only like slice tokens up or limit the number or um, sort them in, in a very specific kind of way. And I think that's really, really interesting. Yeah. And I, I have to think about the analogy of, of to add one more, one more thing, Connor, if I may add one more thing. <laughs> so the, the, the thing that I, that I, uh, that I recently thought about was like, I, I read somewhere and I forgot where it was about, um, so if you have like cookbooks, right? So with recipes, and then I, I don't mean software cookbook, but like actual, you know, uh, uh, that the books that chefs mm-hmm. use. Yeah. Um, that often these books, um, they especially the older ones, they don't define actually what kind of cutlery you need to use. So for example, if it says like a tablespoon of X, that depends on the cook, what they define, what counts as a tablespoon, especially in different cultures. Yeah. So what I had to think about is like the the knowledge that's in the book is going to be the same in a book in if you read it in France or in the yeah. US or in Japan. It's gonna you know baking a cake is always the same recipe. Yeah. But the tools you're using and how the cake comes out is completely different, right? And that's kind of feel. Uh, it kind of feels that what Google was doing was just showing us the recipes, just the recipes like you know a couple of eggs, you know flour, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But now what we're adding is also, hey, if you like, you know, if you're, if you yeah. like, uh, I don't know, a lot of, you know, if you like a big cake that it has like different cutlery, yeah. bigger spoons and that kind of stuff and how yeah. it's presenting that to you. So I really see that, that, that metaphor. And I also think that's why people like that kind of stuff because the, yeah. I, I'm of the opinion. So recently somebody, I was, I was in a panel at a conference and somebody asked me, why do you think that AI is taking all off all of a sudden, right? So why wasn't that doing, I mean, machine learning was there, but now all of a sudden it took off. And, it, and my answer was that I think that people start to uh, anthropomorphize yeah. the models. And we didn't do that before. Yeah. And now we do. And I think that's the reason why it's a take off because it's, it's more personal. It's like the thing talks to you rather than just presenting you with a, with a, with a search result. So that's, that's yeah, uh, it's a, it's uh, a, it's a great point. Like humans love technology that like looks or sounds like a human. It's like, we're like, yes. Whoa, you know? Um, and, and I think there's that, there's an, there's that effect there where like you use it for the first time you're like, Whoa. And then, the next day you're like, I don't know, this isn't that useful for like a lot of AI demos, but like 
it just there it just creates this like sheen of like oh my god to it and then some of them really deliver like i think ChatGPT really really um really delivers and um you know one interesting thing to the to the point that you're making earlier is you know sort of about those recipes is i think that that's an underappreciated thing that ChatGPT does is um it does these subtle translations of text um, where, uh, like a, the, the most basic example is it literally translates English to English, um, where, for example, I have someone that works for me, he's incredibly talented, um, and English is his second language. Um, and he has to write a lot of emails for me. And, you know, when you're talking to him in person, he like, of course, like, he just sounds like basically like a fluent native speaker. But when he writes, it's like a little bit, you can tell it's a little bit not his first language. And the minute ChatGPT came out, his emails got like way better. Um, and because it, it just like, just tweaks it slightly, you know? Um, but it's, it's not even, it's not even just, um, like, you know, correcting English. It's like actually within English, there are all these different languages that we tend to speak between different kinds of people. So like a really good example is my dad, um, he, uh, he has a cemetery and funeral home business. Um, so it's just a, a completely different world, right? But he has an idea for an app he wants to build. Um, related to his business. And he can explain that idea to me, um, but he's, he wants to go hire someone to build it and writing the spec to get someone to to give him an estimate and figure out who to hire, that's actually like kind of hard. It's like hard to get from the layman's explanation that he can give me to an actual spec for like a job that um, someone might, you know, might, might want to work for him for. And is that a, is, I'm sorry. Yeah. I just wanted to quickly ask, is that an app uh, where people can organize funerals for all the AI startups that OpenAI <laughs> killed with releasing the new ChatGPT version? No, but I think that's a great idea. <laughs> There's a, probably a big market for that. Um, um, and, um, and, you know, historically, like I would have had to write it for him because I, I know enough to like translate what he's saying to, to, to a spec. But I just said, go talk to ChatGPT about it. And ChatGPT can write it, right? Because it knows what he's trying to say. And it knows the language to put it in. Um, and it can do the subtle translation to make it look like someone who really knows what they're doing has put this together with what, um, with taking taking what he says and turning it into something that people, someone can use. And I think that that's like a really deeply underappreciated leverage point of these tools. Um because, you know, I, I don't think that we realize how much we actually, within the the one language that we speak, we we speak many, many different languages. There are many, many, many different subcultures of people that talk in certain ways. And AI can kind of translate between those subcultures. And I think that's really powerful. I, if I may, sorry, Connor, I just want, I'm so excited. I have one more question and then I'll, I want, sorry for then. So, so um, uh, I'm very curious if you if we if I um, talk to you then with your writer head on right so if the um, I'm thinking of this analogy right that there was like this time when electric guitars came around and the thing yeah. was I I'm, I'm a big uh, music fan right so, so you had like Les Paul and the guitar and the, the the one thing was like you shouldn't put like the the speaker too loud you shouldn't turn up the volume or the gain too much because otherwise mm -hmm. it went in overdrive and it was seen as yeah. something bad yeah, and then we got like Jimi Hendrix, and Jimi Hendrix right. just turned it all on, and then we had Jimi Hendrix, right? Yeah. So, as a writer, so what is the equivalent for writers in the creative yeah. process to turning ChatGPT yeah. in overdrive? What how a, what, what, what do you yeah. think we're gonna see? What is what is what is gonna be new in the creative That's such process? A good question. I actually I don't I don't know the answer yet. 
Um, like I can, I can tell you how I use it. Um, so, uh, you know, for example, like I, I just, I told you about earlier, it found me a great example of a piece that was like the piece I wanted to write or like it all, well, often, like if I'm trying to express something, like I want to use a metaphor or simile, like it will help me find that metaphor or simile. But I think, um, uh, usually, you know, in the example that you gave, um, uh, what Jimi Hendrix did was he took the thing that, um, was a unique feature of the new technology that, um, that seemed to be a mistake or seemed to be something that was like over, like overused and he just owned it. Um, and so like the filter that I think we should put on is like, what is the thing that, um, that is sort of uniquely AI generated -y, um, that is seen to be like sort of low status or a mistake that someone could like own and like really turn into something interesting. Um, the first thing that comes to mind for me is like right now, um, a, any writer that says that they use ChatGPT in their process, like people get upset about that. And I think that's a big opportunity is to like own the fact that like some of this is written by AI. It's me and the AI, you know, it's not the whole thing, but like, you know, uh, if you want to read Love me, that. like you're going to get some AI stuff. I think that's like up for the taking. Cause like no, very few, few professional writers would be willing to do that. And, and I think a lot of readers would be upset about it. Um, so there's, there's automatically a filter there. I think the other thing is just like, um, there is a distinctively AI generated voice these days, um, that sounds like ChatGPT, And I don't know what that will evolve into, but I could see that being fertile ground for like artists to play with and to be like, what do we make out of this? Like this distinctive AI voice. Cause it will, it's like an, it's, it defines an era in the same way that like mid journey and Dolly images are going to define the, this era for art. Um, that voice will define an era for writing. And, um, right now it's looked at as low quality and, and it is to, to be clear. Um, but I think people will learn how to use that in an artful, high quality way. And that will become new art that like the next generation will look at as being high status. Interesting. Well, so I, I think this whole thing has been incredibly profound and, and kind of, I really like this talking about the subjective voice of, you know, G, of GPT-4 and so on and these kind of translations. And so I guess my question to you both is maybe kind of going into this, like, I'm very curious in particularly how this, will, how this technology will look like is whether to get the AI voice, you have to like kind of, I think character AI, they fine tune the language models. So you you know, you get a bunch of data on things Dan Shipper said, Bob Van Light said, and I fine tune the language models to have this voice. Or if I can just have GPT-4 as the reasoning engine, and if I can just retrieve things that Dan and Bob have said to each to then get the voice of Dan and Bob. Yeah. Um, so a couple things. I don't think that character AI is, is doing fine tuning. I think the way character AI works is you just give it instructions and you say like, here's how I'd like the voice to sound. And then it will like, um, tried to emulate that voice and GPT-4 does that too. So GPT-4 has a system prompt where you can say like, Hey, I'd like you to emulate Dan Shipper, or, you know, or whatever. Um, and as long as GPT-4 knows about that person or has examples of the kind of text that you're, you're looking for, it will try to do it. It's not like going to be that spot on, um, but it'll be, it'll be close. And I think over time it will get even closer. I think when you're talking about like sort of the retrieval augmented generation stuff where it's like, um, 
uh, you know, I ask a question and then it goes and finds, uh, examples of stuff I've written and, or someone asks a question, it goes and finds examples of the stuff I've written and, and then tries to answer based on that, that, um, th that text. I think generally when you're doing that, that's going to be for, uh, kind of answering fact-based questions. So it'll know stuff about me. It's less so for mimicking my voice. Although I guess you could mm -hmm. like, to the extent that I've ever written anything or said anything that like sounds like the answer to that question, you could tell GPT to like uh, use what it finds to reformulate an answer in my voice. But like generally, people don't don't use retrieval augmented generation for that. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think like the the thing that will probably yeah probably be most uh, useful over time is yeah specific fine tuning for. Uh, a particular writer or a particular voice to like mimic the mimic the voice yeah yeah but isn't this actually um an opportunity right so it's like i it's it's i never thought about it this way but currently um uh, when we talk about rag we talk about that knowledge base so we want to extend the knowledge base of the yeah. uh, uh that the, the model has access to but what if we would use rag not to uh, back to the um, uh, objective, subjective nature of things, that we don't want to give it like objective knowledge, but that we actually want to give it something subjective. That we say like, yeah, we're gonna true rag. We're gonna inform you how we want you to do, you know, whatever we want you to do, right? So, so X Y Z. So, um, uh, because again, now mostly all these use cases that also that we see with with like with um, because of course. It, you know, we see a lot of use cases. Rag is always means extending the knowledge base. It almost never means, uh, for example, let's say that you have a, um, a, a this is a very, you know, um, um, you know, this, this is, makes it very um, easy to visualize, basically. Right? So if you talk about poetry, right? If you want a model to generate something, knowledge that it already has, right? So tell me something about the Eiffel Tower. It already has that knowledge. But now we're going to give it a poet. So we just, um, uh, tomorrow they, they, they open some kind of cave. They find this unique poetry that was like never uh, digitized. So impossible that ChatGPT uh, had access to it in its training process. We digitize it. It's okay. Tell me something about the Eiffel Tower. It's in the model. But we're going to feed you poetry. And you need to, in this unique style that's in this poetry, that now you need to tell me about the Eiffel Tower mimicking, mimicking that style. That is using Rack not for its knowledge, but for right. its subjective way of representing stuff. Yeah, yeah. totally. I think that um, I think that's totally, totally an interesting thing to do. I think, um, and, and people, to be clear, they do that with um, one shot or a few shot prompting. Um, so with, so without using rag at all, you just like right. have that yeah. poem in there as an example. And then no matter what people put in, you just use that poem in your prompt and say like, copy this poem. And I think the reason for that is, um, generally you're, you don't have to change the, ex when you're doing a few shot prompting, you don't have to change the example that much because it's not, um, you know, with facts, like if you're getting knowledge, like the knowledge that you're putting in might change all the time, but the style of the poem stays consistent. Um, so unless what you wanted is like given any poet, uh, you know, copy the style of the poet and then it would be helpful to like have a database of different poems and poets. And then if I say E.E. E. Cummings, it will go find E.E. E. Cummings and then throw it in the, in the prompt. I think that would work and that would be sort of retrieval augmented generation. 
um, style. So yeah, I, th- I think it's helpful. I think um, generally people don't do it though because the, the style that they want, they just put it in the prompt and um, it does it. Yeah. What do you think about that, Connor? You, you have, you have, what are your thoughts on that? I'm just curious. Um, well, I think the kind of discovery of new style is really interesting. Like this idea of um, I have one style of writing in Dan and one in Bob. And then it's like, could you hear examples? Could you come up with a new style? It's kind of just like where my like, my train of thought was as I was listening to it. But generally with this podcast, the whole thing is really inspiring me thinking about this kind of like the unique voice of, you know, the the AI. And I think that's just really profound. I think we've covered all sorts of ways of which you can define that, whether it's like, I kind of always have like this persona thing, like impersonate Bob, impersonate Eddie and like people within the company and then like give me what their opinion would be. Like, I really like playing with the uh, Weviate podcast as the data set where I have like where speaker equals Bob and like Weviate GraphQL and then, and then it will like retrieve only from Bob to impersonate and that kind of thinking. So so that's kind of my overall take on all these ideas is just this kind of unique voice of AI. I love this kind of yeah subjectivity, this role playing. I love the multi-agent kind of concept of like collective mm. conscious kind of. That's really cool. Yeah. And now you're bringing up something else interesting is like even like if you so let's say it would be so interesting that it basically if you would have these three models, right, that they were not only looking at again as the knowledge representation, but also the the, the how they represent the knowledge, so the, the subjective na- nature. And you basically you have Connor, you have Dan, you have Bob, and then there's three agents, and then see how that <laughs> conversation evolves. That even that might be, would be fun, right? That if we could, before we started this conversation, that there would be like a one-pager. Like, okay, we had the three agents mimicking you guys having <laughs> this conversation already. This is what the conclusion was, so just take it from there. That might be, it might be interesting, right? I love it. Let's do it for next time. Yeah, that's a deal. Deal. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining our special VBA CEO series. I thought this was such an awesome one. This was a really, really incredible topic that we dove into. Thank you so much. Of course. Thanks for having me. It was great. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Connor.